Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the My Gastric Sleeve podcast. With your host, Nima Karazi. Nima is just a regular guy who had the gastric sleeve surgery, and this is his story. He is not a doctor. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have medical questions, ask your doctor. Now let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the My Gastric Sleeve podcast. I'm your host, Nima Karazi, and this is my journey. This is going to be the questions and answers episode. Some of the answers you may have already heard. These are just a few hot topics that I wanted to share with all of you. Since I can't ask myself the questions, I figured I'd ask my friend and fellow podcaster, Marco Timpano, to host the Q&A. Marco has four podcasts under his belt, including Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan. He has written a book on podcasting aptly named 25 Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started My Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you to my podcast, Marco, so please take it away. Thank you, Nima. It's quite an honor to be on your podcast, My Gastric Sleeve, Asking Questions. Uh, And I think this is an awesome journey that you are taking along with your listeners. But I do want to ask you a few questions, uh, things that I'm unaware of. And so hopefully by shedding light on the questions I have, uh, your listeners will also find perhaps what they need. So let me ask you this. What are the options for bariatric surgery? Right. So there are three main options for bariatric surgery. There's the lap band, which is the least invasive. Then there's the gastric sleeve. And finally, there's the Ruin Y. The lap band is uh, basically just a way to cinch the stomach opening. Um, So it just kind of makes it a little bit tighter. It takes food a little bit longer to go down. And um, it really helps with a full feeling. But there's no actual surgery or cutting done at all. Uh, It's just a simple um, band, basically, that's put around would it be like taking a zip tie and cinching the stomach so that it it has like almost a waist? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that would be exactly what that is. Um, uh, and, and was that was that an option you chose? No. So no. I um, I wasn't uh, afforded that option. Okay. Uh, because I got my surgery through Kaiser, they no longer do the lap band I because see. so many people that do the lap band surgery end up losing as much weight as they can, and then they upgrade to the sleeve after a couple years. Um, I just went straight for the sleeve. Now, the sleeve is when they cut out 75% of your stomach. They actually do incisions. They don't cinch it. They remove the stomach, and it's gone? Correct. Yeah, they cut out three-fourths on the backside and leave the rest of it intact. They basically do like a a stapling uh, gun that like uh, sears and solders and 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 divides, and then they pull out that seventy five percent. So your stomach is a quarter of its former size. 
Um, that's the surgery that I had. I see. So it sounds like we're at Home Depot between zip ties and staple guns, but uh, <laughs> I know we're putting this in a, a surgical perspective. Uh, so there's the lap band. You chose the sleeve. Were th- was there another option that was available to you? Yeah, the, the third option is called the Ruin Y, where they kind of bypass the stomach for the most part, create a very small pouch, and then they reroute your plumbing. Um, there's a lot of complications with that. Okay. That is mainly used for two reasons. One, when you are morbidly obese um, and you have like over 400 pounds to lose or something like that. Okay. Or if you get the sleeve surgery and then you have acid reflux because the acid that's in your stomach at 100%, when your stomach cuts down to 25%, the acid still remains the same. Oh, wow. So if your acid keeps coming up and burning your esophagus, then when you do the Ruin Y, it it alleviates that issue. So if you have too much um, acid, um, what's that called when you have acid reflux disease? Yes. If you have too much acid reflux, then they do the Ruin Y uh, mandatory. Understood. I have to say, uh, being honest here, unfortunate name to name one of them, the Ruin. Uh, so so you went with the sleeve and that was the option for you. Mm-hmm. Were you. Were you troubled at all that you may not be able to eat whatever you want after this surgery? There's, <laughs> there's two schools of thought. On this, uh, that there's like I'm on three different gr- groups on Facebook for gastric sleeve, sure. and almost all of them said these. There's these two schools of thought where it's like you either have a goodbye tour, like a farewell tour of your favorite foods, so you go and get you know Persian food or heavy Italian dishes or something that you know you're not going to be able to eat the way that you eat now. You know, it's sure. not that you you can eat everything. You just can't eat in the fashion that you're used to. The The second school of thought is, no, you have to just leave all that as is and you got to lose as much weight as possible uh, up until your surgery date. And I kind of went in between these two. You know, I had like a little bit of Chinese food, a little bit of Persian food, a little bit of Italian food. And then uh, like the last decadent thing I had was a slice of cheesecake. Uh, and oh, sushi. I had like a hundred dollar sushi night. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Sounds like you had a good sushi night if you spent a hundred bucks uh, on, <laughs> on sushi, fine quality stuff, you know, because was there something that you were, you know, sort of sitting on the fence about? Like, I know for me, you mentioned cheese. If someone told me that I couldn't eat cheese after the surgery or that cheese would taste different, I might sit on the fence a bit before I made my decision. Did you have a point like that at all? Or was there something that, that made you sit on the fence? You know, a lot of the research I did, people were saying that um, they could have everything. Uh, they just can't. They have to have it in moderation, which is totally fine. I, I don't mind that at all. I'm good with moderation. The only issue for me was once I had the surgery and the taste changed in my mouth. Yes. I was disappointed because I thought, you know, I really want to enjoy this cheese like I have been doing my whole life. And the fact that I can't have that means that this might change forever. And I spoke with my nutritionist and she told me that it's a six month situation that happens post-surgery. I see. And it, uh, it sometimes happens, sometimes it doesn't happen, but when it does happen, it's 
just one of those things. Like it, it, it'll go away after six months. Your taste buds will go back to normal. Interesting. Yeah. So then I felt a lot better about it. Fair. Now you said that you were surprised at how little pain there was. Yeah, there was very, very little pain uh, in my uh, abdominal region. Um, the, I mean, the most pain I had was my neck was really stiff because they had to put a, a breathing tube in my throat and my head was kind of angled at a very severe angle um, because they had to make sure that I could breathe during the surgery. And uh, I don't remember any of that, but I do remember having incredible right. neck pain uh, for like three, four days. Um, but yeah, that was the most pain I was in. I'm, I was walking immediately after getting out of surgery and waking up from anesthesia. I, I went for a little walk in the, in the hallway. I was, yeah, I was fine. Were you surprised at how little pain you experienced? I, well, I was, uh, to a degree because there was a lot of people that were, you know, saying how they were, uh, throwing up right afterwards or their stomach wasn't able to handle like a sip of water. Right. And I was very concerned about that. But almost everybody's advice, again, these Facebook groups are a godsend because almost everybody's advice was like, mm -hmm. you know, what do I need to do after my surgery? Walk, walk, walk. Like everybody just a million times walk. You got to go for a walk. Walk. It, it gets the anesthesia out of you. It gets the gas out of you and it gets the pain out of you and it makes you feel better. And, you know, that's all I did for like, I just walked. We, we live in an apartment and we're on the top floor, the third floor. And I would just walk around the, the third floor of the apartment complex, uh, you know, a few times, you know, and then just increase that over, over and over. Now, was the anticipation of pain a cause of reluctance for you? I'm terrible with pain. Right. Because I would imagine this would be painful, right? And you're telling me it's not as painful as you expected. So I'm just curious, was the anticipation of possible pain a reluctance for you to get this surgery? Uh. No, I, I I knew that I could I could deal with it. I think my biggest concerns were either going to be um, getting out of getting off the couch or getting out of the chair and having abdominal pain or like laying down in bed and having abdominal pain, or it was going to be um, not being able to walk or not being able to get rid of this excess gas because they inflate your stomach with gas so they can do the surgery in a like open area. Right when they cut that portion out. So the, so it's, it's, you have to eliminate all this gas over time. And so that was a concern, but I, I knew I could, I could handle it. But I bet you didn't expect neck pain when you go in for uh, gastric surgery or bari bariatric surgery. No, you know, the, the, anest the anesthesiologist came and spoke with me and she said that Sorry, I cranked your neck. <laughs> no, before before the okay. surgery, she said to me, uh, you've never had anesthesia before. And I said, I've never had surgery before. And she said, I'm concerned because you have a small neck, like a short neck. Right. And I was never self-conscious about my neck before. Right. But now I was. And she's like, we may have to like wake you up in the middle of surgery and then trach you while you're awake. Oh, wow. And that scared me more than the surgery scared me. Yeah, no, nobody wants to be waking up in the middle of a surgery. I would, I would guess. Just uh, can we wake you up? Just, I just need, I just need to massage your neck a little bit. Okay, and you can go back now. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So this brings me to my next question. 
um, you know, this anticipation and, and, and the unknown and the experience of actually wasn't so painful, but I had a severe crink in my neck. But what were there things that you wish you knew prior to your surgery that you know that you would want to share with your listeners? Yeah, I think if I if I knew how much how much work there was involved in in getting to this point, I li- I literally thought that the process was going to be something like I'm going to talk to my doctor, I'm going to tell him that I want to have this surgery and then in about 2 to 3 months I'm going to have this surgery. And there's classes you have to take and there's psychologists you have to meet with and you have to have physicals done and you have to you know do all these other things and it's it's a lot of work so for me it was something that was very it was very painstaking and very uh very time consuming and I wish I would have known that because I may have started it I I might have started it sooner rather than wait a little bit longer I share the same experience with my marriage. <laughs> we had to take marriage classes before we got married. And I was like, I didn't know I'd have to put this kind of work in before I said <laughs> I do to the woman I love. So um, what about support? How was the support that you got from both, let's say, your loved ones and from the people who were who were making this change for you, from the doctors to the nurses to everyone in the staff that you, you encountered? Uh, there's a... A great quote from Bo Burnham, who is a comedian, which I love very much. And he's he was saying how uh, as a comic, most comedians feel like they're um, they had very rough lives and that's what makes them funny. And he's like, my whole life has been nothing but like pats on the back and and uh, good jobs and, and well done and attaboys. Um, so if I'm on stage, it's it's in spite of that. And I, I had no idea how much support I was going to get. I mean, I, I legitimately was thinking, you know, at least somebody in my family is going to say, um, you took the easy way out. This is like the biggest no-no in bariatric surgery circles is telling someone, oh, you took the easy way out. Oh, you had surgery, you took the easy way out. Right. And I was anticipating that because my family's sometimes a little uh, oversharing or a little um, over-opinionated. And it was just nothing but love and support and, and wonderful. And, and, you know, we, we wanted to talk to you about this and this is a great idea. Yeah. And I have a few friends that have had these surgeries, so they were all very supportive and, you know, they, every single one of them was like, if I have one regret, it's I didn't do it sooner. I see. And that's my regret too. If I, that's my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. So Nima, let me ask you this, tell us and tell the people who might be listening, who might be those types of people. Why is this not the easy way out? It's well, it's the easy way in that you're having surgery and then you're kind of forced into losing weight. Right. But it's the not easy way because there is so much time, effort and energy you're putting into educating yourself, learning about the foods and then restricting yourself. I mean, you can still eat all the things you wanted to eat before. But what's going to end up happening is that you're going to throw up or you're going to get dumping syndrome, which is either the food is processing too quickly and you your body is rejecting it. So therefore, it will before it goes into your large intestine, you will throw it up. Or if it's in your large intestine, when your body starts to reject it, then it will get pushed all the way through and then you will have diarrhea. And it will be for about three to four hours on average. 
straight. Like you'll be either yep. throwing up or diarrhea mm-hmm. for three hours straight. That's the dumb. Or decision. both. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I learned a, a few things about myself through this process. And one of them was patience. Sure. But the other one is that I am fear motivated. And it is wonderful to learn that about myself because my whole life has been like carrot, carrot, carrot. And I'm a stick guy. That's what I figured out is that you can put all the carrots. If you do this, then we're going to give you this promotion or we're going to give you this raise. Or, you know, if if I was in school, if you get this grade, then we're going to take you to this place or give you this ice cream treat or whatever. I don't care. But if you don't do this, you we're going to take this away from you. That's fear motivation. Right. And that's what works really well for me. And it's 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 not always a terrible thing. If you know what works, then you can manipulate it in order to work better for you. But it took my doctor to tell me, hey, man, you have about 20 years left. And that's about it. And that was enough. That was enough fear for me to think, well, I don't even get to retire. Right. I only get 20 years with my wife I just married. Like, no, fuck this. I need to, this is scary. I got to do something about this. Yeah. And the same with, the same with the diet is I got to, it's, it's fear motivation. So I, I don't want to throw up and I don't want to shit myself for three hours. Right. So I want to make sure I get this done. Yeah. But the dumping syndrome doesn't sound so bad when it's either dumping syndrome or 20 years left of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me ask you about your healing process, not just the physical healing, but the uh, mental and emotional healing. What do you do for each? Yeah. So the, the mental healing and the, and the emotional healing are, are a little different there. Um, the, the, well, the physical healing is walking. That's really the biggest thing. Right. And that, that motivation is blood clots. You know, if you don't walk 30 minutes a day, six days a week, then you might get blood clots and you could die. So I, I can't imagine losing this much weight and getting this far into this surgery and my food journey and my stages and then dying because of a blood clot because I was too lazy to go for a stroll. Right. That's ridiculous. So that's not going to happen. So I got to, I got to walk. So that helps, you know, it helps your mindset. It helps your mentality. It helps all that stuff. But the other aspect of it, the mental aspect of it is being able to connect with your family, connect with your friends and still have that positive reinforcement and starting to see like for me weight loss is look kind of like time travel into the past like i started my heaviest weight was 410 and uh i started the surgery at 390 and i was 39 which is apropos because from 18 i weighed 180 and every year after that i weighed 10 times my age so at 20 i weighed 200 at 30 i weighed 300 and at 40 i weighed 400 okay and then i did the surgery and so now I'm I'm down to 3:30. This is amazing to me because this is like being 33 again. Sure. So all, all the weight loss that I'm I'm doing, I'm I'm charting of course because I'm a data nerd and I love numbers. But I'm also looking at like when was the last time I weighed this little or when was the last time I lost this much weight or well, you know, what was that happening? And that helps my mindset change as well. So you didn't need any therapy after surgery to get over what changes your body's going to go through. I, um, I had therapy before surgery started. I kind of started therapy as soon as I started the classes. That was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I just needed to to talk to someone about the decisions I was making. Um, and I've I've been working with my therapist. This is probably the longest amount of time I've been with one therapist. And we meet every week and we talk about my uh, issues. And we all, we always end up talking about um, some form or another of food issues. And I'm still learning. Uh, sure. you know, I'm still learning. Like I've, I've, I've always had like an all or nothing mentality and that's a terrible way to, to go through life. So it's either like, you know, you got to finish your plate or you don't want this to expire or you live in like this, this fear mindset of like, if I don't eat that, then it, then it goes to waste. And then I've, I've spent this money for nothing. And, you know, so the therapy has been like the, if I have like any advice for anyone, like a therapy, 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 like that's number one, please, before anything else. And how much time does one need after the surgery, let's say off work, or if you have a family and kids, you might need someone to take care of the kids. How long would you say that period should be so people have an understanding? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I don't have any kids and I've been working from home because of the pandemic. But I would say if you're working from home at a desk, um, a lot of people will say like, oh, you could just take two days off or I was at work the next day or three days or whatever. Taking a full week off. Now, the doctor was, the surgeon was telling me, like, I can write you a note for three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, he goes, I usually write three weeks if you're at a desk job and six weeks if you're in a warehouse. Okay. And I was like, I don't need three weeks, doc, but I do need a like a full week. I see. So I, I told my, my company, they were very uh, wonderful about it and they let me take a full week off. And normally when I take time off, I am always checking I am always looking, I am always discussing something, you know, you know, looking at my numbers, emailing someone back, doing what this week, I literally shut all that stuff off. And I just hung out, watched TV, went for walks, um, worked on my, my food, worked on my diet, worked on all that stuff. And it was great. It was really great. I would definitely recommend at least a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a, a desk job, at least one week off, if you can take that it sounds to me sorry to interrupt you but during that week or longer what i'm hearing you say is you need to focus on yourself yeah oh yeah big time yeah it's huge and i mean i'm very lucky in that i mean all my friends were checking up on me my family was calling me every day and and of course i live with my beautiful wife who's like you know doting after me and making sure you know and my i mean my neck was so jacked up for 3 days right that it was a godsend that I had the surgery on like a, a Thursday morning because mm. I was, it was like being in a car accident. Like you didn't, I didn't have the pain until Friday and then the pain didn't go away until like Monday or Tuesday. So had I just taken three days off, um, it would have been just enough to get past the neck pain. Everything else would have just been like, well, I guess we'll figure it out as we go along. But having that extra week right. was just, just perfect. Amazing. Let me ask you this. How was your body, how did it adjust post-surgery, like immediately after? I understand you've lost lost 60 pounds up to now, but mm-hmm. what happened immediately after surgery to your body? Yeah. So after the surgery, there's there's obviously the there's the the stomach pain, the, the pain in, in your organ, the stomach organ. There's that stomach pain in, in in that area. Then you also have hunger pains that that I haven't. Uh, felt in a very long time because I haven't been hungry in a very long time. 
so those are like two things that kind of compete with each other. Like you start, you kind of pause and think, is this what hunger is supposed to feel like? Am I hungry? Should I eat something? Or is this just pain because I had surgery in that area? Because the pain is coming from the same place, literally. I see. Yeah, I didn't think of that. What is yeah. the stomach pain from the surgery? And what is stomach pains or hunger pangs from not being able to eat as you did prior? Yeah. and th- But here's the beauty of it. Um, I, I compare a lot of this to fasting uh, during Ramadan, which is a thing that Muslims do. I'm, I'm not a Muslim, but I, I used to fast during Ramadan. And here's here's what happens. You get really, really hungry around 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And you know what? After about 20 minutes, 15 minutes, the hunger goes away. It just goes away. It just disappears. Like your stomach is like trying to scream at you like, hey, man, I'm really, really hungry. You got to feed me. And then after like 20 minutes of you not listening to it, the stomach just goes, all right, never mind. I'm going to go back to rest. And so the same thing happens here, either with the hunger or the stomach pain. It's just like it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes of like, oh, my, my stomach hurts. And then you're like, oh, OK, that's it's gone now. It's fine. The thing that sticks around and, and that you see every day that you're taking a shower or you're you're walking around with your shirt off or whatever is the scars from the surgery. And I have six scars. I have uh, five on one line and then one uh, in the middle above. And um, because they do it laparoscopically, the scars are about an inch long and they're very thin. So hang on. The scars are not like a... Like, the, are they more like little holes or are they more like a cut or are they more like a little slit? They're like a slit. They're like a one inch slit. Okay. And they're very thin. I see. And five of them are on one line and then one is on, uh, one is above them, about like four inches above them. And just seeing them sometimes uh, gets some people emotional. You know, it really makes them think like, you know, I, I have to do this. To, I, I had to do this to myself. And what have I done to myself? And what was what was I thinking or, or how did I get to this point? And they get uh, very sad, very upset uh, about that. Um, thankfully, I never had to deal with that. But I talked to a few people who did and they were just saying that it was a very difficult time for them to to look at themselves and see what decision they had they had to make and it was kind of like a a moment of realization for themselves that they had to deal with that yeah so what do your scars say to you when you see them i honestly i look at it as a victory i see i think it's such a it's such a beautiful thing that that i that i was able to do that that i was able to have this surgery and this victory and these scars kind of prove the fact that I could endure my first surgery. Like this is like a very cool thing to me. I'm fascinated by this mental adjustment that you make with regards to the scars versus other people. How else does your mind adjust to this? So my mind, um, there's a little bit of just sadness in general, just that, you know, that there's, it's, it's weird. There's two types of sadness. There's one sadness in that, I had to do this thing. I had to have this surgery. And then that's the thing that caused me to lose this weight. And there's a second sadness, which is a selfish sadness, which becomes like, I am no longer able to go to In-N-Out and get two double doubles and house them. 
for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what In-N-Out <laughs> is, it's a burger chain in California that stretches to other parts of the U.S. But uh, since I'm in Canada, we don't have the luxury of In-N-Out. So that would not be something I was sad about. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm sure you have listeners from all over the world who are thinking he couldn't go to In-N-Out. What's that? Right. right. I mean, any any fast food joint, like you, you sure. can't. You can't go and eat the way you used to, or even at a restaurant or like, I mean, when you order Persian food at a restaurant, I mean, they bring you one dish. I mean, I'm telling you, I used to eat one dish of Persian food by myself in that sitting. And then eventually I would split it with my wife. And then eventually my wife and I got to a point where we would split it and then we'd still have half left over. For, so one meal would eat would feed us both for two meals, whereas before I was so it was four meals, but I would eat that as one meal. And now I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it would be uh, probably six different meals for me. Sure. I was going to say, you know, there's one thing you cannot say about Persian food and that 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 it is a stingy cuisine. <laughs> Right. But there's that sadness that you're not going to be able to eat the way you used to. Or you're not going to be able to have a bang bang or you're not going to sure. be able A bang bang is when you have two, two dinners or two meals back to back. Like you'll go to one restaurant and have a meal and then you'll go hit like a fast food joint and have a second meal. I have it's never usually heard like of that. I have <laughs> never heard of that. Oh my goodness. Bang bang. Yeah. Yeah. It's a monster. But I mean, that's the sadness in, in it's a selfish sadness. It's sure. a, it's a, you know, it's one of those moments that, um, but then there's also this, like this, this kind of depression state and this disgust state of like, you are disgusted with how you ate, what you ate, all the things that you ate, the amounts that you ate. And, you know, it just kind of becomes uh, a little, cumbersome or overbearing at times and you have to kind of let all that go. Is there a longing or or sadness in the loss of being able to eat those amounts? There is. There is. I mean, I I haven't really truly felt it yet because we well, I haven't been to like a full restaurant. I would imagine that that when the pandemic goes away and we, you know, are able to go and sit outside and have a meal with like five or six of our friends, and everyone's ordering appetizers, I'm going to have to order my meal first thing and tell them to bring it out immediately because I have to eat so slowly that I need my food first. And then also I have to, you know, take a bite every like five minutes. I can have like a, a you know, half an ounce of protein or a, a scoop of, you know, like a spoonful of whatever. So it takes me a very long time to eat my food. And, you know, I'm going to see someone else just eating a burger or having a slice of pizza or two or three or four. And I'm still eating like the, the pieces of, uh, you know, steamed broccoli or chicken or salmon or whatever. It's not the food decision because I eat salami, but it's the watching someone eat that way is going to be a little sad, I feel. And will you have to adjust your eating like that for the rest of your life? Yeah, there's there's a couple things that that have to change, and uh, one of them is is quality. Uh, sorry, quantity of food, so I can only have smaller amounts of food. And the second thing is going to be um, speed. Like I I have to eat a lot slower, and I have to be very cognizant of that as well. 
I would throw in quality of food too. If you if you're eating mm-hmm. something slow and less of it, perhaps um, the In and Out Burger is not necessarily the burger that you want to have. You want to have the fine, you know, uh, porterhouse made into a burger kind of thing. Oh, perhaps yeah. looking at the more more higher quality food versus, um, you know, empty calories. Uh, which brings me to my next question. Is there a meal plan that is best suited for someone post-surgery? Like a paleo, whole 30, keto, all these kind of buzzwords that have been bounced around the last little bit. Is there one of those types of plans that is best post-surgery? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question because there's there's a lot of like like bariatric surgery meal plans that they have and they're like, you know, half of it needs to be vegetables and fruits and then a quarter of it is protein, a quarter of it is starch, and then other people think that it's, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, the advantage to paleo and Whole30 is that it's super clean, it's healthy, you have a lot of great weight loss potential there. It is a little bit restrictive, um, not that much, but I mean, ingredients-wise, there's like certain things on Whole30 that that you're not supposed to eat that I eat anyway. Um, like cane sugar or um, corn syrup or whatever. And these are things that if I was to restrict, like I like I take a protein shake every morning and it's got 30 grams of protein and it, it kind of jump starts my day. So I go for a walk in the morning and then I come back and I have my protein shake first thing and it, you know, kind of gives me those pr- those proteins and it's got one gram of sugar. So it's healthy for me. And if I don't do that, if I don't have that protein shake and I have to have like eggs instead, then I'd have to have like five eggs to compensate. Or if I have, you know, so whatever. So there's a lot of different like options there, um, but it's a, it's a bit more restrictive. Keto is um, high fat and low fiber, which normally is really good for you, but high fat can cause dumping syndrome, which we've discussed earlier. Yes. And low fiber can cause constipation, which you would think that these two would cancel each other out. Right. But unfortunately they don't. Um, So neither one is good. Um, But even though like, like healthy fats are okay, like avocados, like uh, okay, or or, uh, like using uh, avocado oil or grapeseed oil, that's fine. But even that you have to do in moderation because even too much of that um, can cause dumping syndrome. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So keto is a very dangerous diet. Um, but paleo, paleo and Whole30 are, are probably the best. But again, this this depends on everybody's body type. You know, some people, they can have uh, alcohol. Some people can't. Some people can drink diet sodas. Other people can't have carbonation. Like it, it all really just depends on the individual. Yeah. And I guess this would be a good time to say, you know, whatever we say here, always consult with your own physician and do what's right for your body. And don't take what I say or what Nima says as your sort of way to get through this type of surgery. Absolutely. Yeah. This is just my journey. That's mm-hmm. all. What changes to your diet were surprising to you other than the cheese or the fat? Uh, was there anything else that that struck you? Yeah, there were there were a lot more restrictions that I had originally thought there might be. I mean, I, I knew that there would be some restrictions on like sugar and fat, like you got to have less sugar or less fat, like that. That seemed normal to me. But they have like an like an absolute no policy on corn. Oh, and not not corn. Like you can have corn chips, but you can't have like corn on the cob. Like you can't have kernels of corn. Because it can cause blockage. 
or celery can cause blockage. So you can have, um, I think you can have steamed celery, but you're not supposed to have raw celery. Interesting. And no dried fruit, which, which most of these things, when someone tells you there's a restriction on, all you can think of is what is how much you want. Oh my <laughs> God. I would, oh God, corn. I love corn. I'd eat so much corn if I could. Or like when they say dried fruit, I haven't had dried fruit in a year. I can tell you exactly. It's been 11 months because I have dried fruit every year at Persian New Year. Right. I love dried fruit, but I only have it once a year as a treat. And they said, no, the reason for the dried fruit is because it's very, very high in sugar. Oh, of course it is. Yes. Um, Nima, let me ask you this. What has changed in your body's um, food limitations? Um, There's some days like I can eat a lot. I can you know, like, like most of the time I'm done by five or 6 PM. Um, you know, I start, I start with my walk at, at around eight o'clock. And by the time I come back around eight 30 or nine, I'll have my protein shake. And then that goes until about 10. And then around 11 o'clock, I'll start eating lunch food, like, um, regular solid food instead of liquid food. And so I'll have like salami and then I'll wait like another hour and a half and I'll have some fruit and then I'll have some yogurt and then I'll have something else and then I'll drink my water and and I'll be done with my food intake by around five o'clock or six o'clock, which is great. And then other days I'll just forget to eat. Like I just get on a a different track or something uh, distracts me and I just never get to it and I just totally forget about it. And I don't eat until like seven o'clock and I'm totally fine. I'm not malnourished. I'm not weakened. I just don't, I'm not eating at that time. I get full with a lot less sometimes. Sometimes I eat a lot more. Um, But probably the weirdest thing with my food is that like I get notified when I'm full or or getting close to being full. Uh, There's this like tightness in my sternum. Um, and I get the hiccups or sometimes I sneeze and it's a weird thing that is pretty consistent across the forums on Facebook, which is sneezing or hiccups is an indicator that your body's full. It's like your body sending you text messages through hiccups, <laughs> sneezes, and uh, tightness in your sternum. Right. So Nima, you talked about, you know, exercising prior to your surgery and you talk about doing the walking post-surgery. Does walking or exercise make a difference now in your daily life now that the surgery's gone, it's not post-surgery, that week of recovery has happened, or are you putting that exercise by the wayside? So I I uh, walk uh, five, uh, six days a week, 30 minutes a day, every, almost every morning. And there's a lot of really positive things about that. Uh, the 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 positive thing is that um the the number one positive thing is that it it alleviates my anxiety about my blood clots and that's uh just priceless for me um but the second thing is um because i i have to take that prilosec in the morning and i have to wait 30 minutes for it to do its job before i can eat or drink anything I have to wait that 30 minutes anyway, so I might as well go for a walk as soon as I take that Prilosec in the AM. And then it releases dopamine and endorphin and gives me more energy throughout the day. So it's really, really positive uh, for me. The only negative is that after I do that walk and after I work out just in general, 
my blood flow is a little bit higher and it's a little bit harder to eat and a little bit harder to digest. And there's a bit of a mental drain after I come back of like, and now I got to like switch gears and shift into like work mode and sit down. And, you know, I was just outside with fresh air and sunlight and a breeze and, you know, waving at dogs. And now I'm like, you know, in, in this room staring at a wall and my two screens and uh you know there's a little bit of a of a mental shift there i see okay is there anything that uh people who have this surgery need to change about their life and schedule and how they live it like is there any alterations other than consumption of food that one needs to be aware of no you know i really think like everybody's schedule is different okay you know everyone is like their foods are handled differently um things are 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 able to be consumed or are unable to be consumed on a completely like random uh basis like it just some somebody can have raisins and can't eat grapes the other person can eat grapes can't have raisins there's no you just you have to test your body's limitations some people smoke afterwards um, you're not supposed to smoke mainly because it's unhealthy for you, but also because it, it, uh, increases your chances of a blood clot and it, it slows down your healing process. Right. But still people smoke, people drink, people, uh, eat food that isn't good for mm-hmm. them, but it, it's, it's all depending on what, what you want really. I mean, if, if your head's not in this and you don't want to heal yourself at a hundred percent, it's something that, that you have to deal with, which is. This is something I, I actually really did want to talk about. There is a thing called... Um, Are you saying you didn't want to talk about the stuff that I asked you previous? <laughs> is that what you're suggesting there? No, 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 not at all. Okay. I, I love all of this. <laughs> all right. But I, this is the this is probably the, the most important thing. There's a thing called like... Um, it's called like addiction replacement. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was just talking to my therapist about this on, on Tuesday. So here's what it is. Um, when you don't share your emotions or or you're upset or or concerned or angry about something and you're frustrated then in order to tamp that down that those emotions down deep inside before you instead of talking to someone about them you cover that with food as an overeater and so as a fat person that's all I did was just jam my emotions deep down inside and then put food on top of it to weigh it down so it wouldn't come back up. And that's how I gained all my weight. Well, I am no longer able to do that with my food. So what happens is some people will switch that food addiction piece with another piece. And there's two parts to this. Sometimes that piece becomes exercise. So you say, I'm going to be addicted to exercise. Or I'm going to drink alcohol and I'm going to be addicted to alcohol or I'm going to gamble or I'm going to spend a lot of money on Amazon or whatever. And these are things you have to be on the lookout for. They can be dangerous. You could lose your house, your family, your livelihood, your life itself. But the biggest thing to me and and the, the kind of the breakthrough that I had, the epiphany, if you will, is that you don't necessarily have to replace that addiction with another addiction if you stop suppressing the emotions right so if you just share your emotions 
then there's nothing to suppress and there's no drug that's necessary for to suppress. So that was like the biggest realization for me is that I don't have to replace eating with fill in the blank as long as I can stop suppressing my emotions and be honest with those I love. Right. It sounds like this is also a key to having therapy after this kind of a surgery as well to help you ensure that you don't replace one addiction with another. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, That's probably the biggest takeaway. Fair enough. All right, Nima, this is the last question I have for you. Um, As you know, this is an important part of my life, but have you noticed a difference in the quality of your sleep since the surgery? And do you have insomnia? So I have always said that um, I have a superpower uh, even before the surgery, before anything, that I that I can sleep anywhere, anytime, in any situation. I, I've fallen asleep sitting at my desk holding my chin in my hand before. I'm incredible at it. And the only place I'm not able to sleep is on an airplane. And that's because I have sleep apnea. So I'm uh, constantly snoring and, and uh, gasping for breath. As of late... I have noticed that my machine isn't sealing as well as it should be. And that's either your, that's your that sleep apnea machine? My yeah, my yeah, CPAP machine. CPAP machine, sorry. So that that lets me know that either I need a new mask type because this mask is either too big for my face now or or I need to do a second test, a sleep test. So Maybe my uh, apnea is not as bad as it used to be, and I could get on an APAP machine or or even get off of it altogether. That would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, my I've been blessed with sleep. Uh, I could probably, honestly, Marco, if I went and laid down in bed right now, I could probably sleep for like three hours. Wow. Well, I certainly don't have that superpower, I can tell you. <laughs> Well, listen, my short-necked friend, I want to thank you for inviting me to be a part of this Q&A. I certainly learned a lot from today. Me too. Thank you so much for doing this and and being such a good friend. Would you like to plug and promote any of your uh, podcasts? Well, I guess the only one that I will mention, though you have no need for it, is The Insomnia Project, which is a podcast designed for people like myself who cannot sleep or who have anxiety. I find a lot of my listeners tell me it helps them with their anxiety. The Insomnia Project is 26 minutes of calm conversation when we're, where we try to speak about topics that will just lull you to sleep. And you've been a guest on that podcast. And I'd like to invite you to be a guest on Eat and Drink. And maybe we can talk about this type of surgery and how your food needs to alter on that podcast as well. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I think you pronounced the name of your podcast wrong. I think it's the award-winning oh. <laughs> Insomnia Project. Thank you. It is. I appreciate that. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And congratulations on this well-needed podcast. I'm so privileged to be uh, on this episode with you today, Nima. Thank you so much, Marco. Thanks for listening to the My Gastric Sleeve podcast. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share it with a friend. Please follow us on all social media at My Gastric Sleeve Podcast or let us know what you think at mygastricsleevepodcast.com. 